Welcome to episode number 265 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill. I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. Also with us just off camera, but piped in direct from our 60,000 square foot virtual stadium, aka Jitsi Room, is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. Woohoo! So on this week's wonderful episode of Destination Linux, we're going to dive into the topic Linux is ready to dominate the desktop. Yeah. Then we're going to chat about Mozilla's new partnership with Meta, a.k.a. Facebook. Oh, boy. <laughs> Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching. So our community feedback this week comes from Eric via email. He says, hey, DL team, I love the show. Thanks for all you do. In the latest episode, number 263, you mentioned several community building platforms. I would love to hear your thoughts on XMPP, specifically through Converse.js. Thanks you for all you do, Eric. So XMPP is Extensible Messaging and Presence Protocol, and Converse.js is basically the client that you can use to host in your browser. So the cool thing about this combination that's being mentioned here by Eric is that, in theory, you could set up an entire community to hang out and chat right into your website. So for Destination Linux, for instance, we could set up an XMPP and Converse.js, and instead of going through and signing up for Elementor Matrix, you could do it through a browser. There are a lot of things that utilize XMPP. For instance, you've got Google Talk, Skype, a WhatsApp, Zoom. They all kind of utilize this protocol, but with some proprietary pieces, a lot of times added in. And then Jitsi for chat functionality, like our patron rooms, Jitsi, and the chat in there is through XMPP protocol. However, when I was kind of going through all of this and there's plugins and things that you can do, I was looking at setting up my own server for this to kind of test it out some more. And you could go on converse.js website and you can go through their kind of public instance and check it out. And that was pretty neat. But setting up your own server, a lot of the documentation in my search history, at least when I was searching through the different sites and things, seemed to be very outdated using very old versions of Ubuntu or whatever they were setting the server up on. There looks to be some Docker capabilities, but not officially from the company, whereas like Element Matrix, you could just drop the Docker Compose and, and have your own instance up, which is much easier, in my opinion. But this is not my area of expertise, so we should say that up front. But Michael, what are your thoughts on XMPP and using Converse.js? To me, it looked really cool, but looked too complicated, and all the communities seem split up, which seemed contrary to what the design was, but that's kind of what I was noticing. So it's it's very interesting that you bring it up because the the aspect of XMPP that is actually really cool is the protocol itself, but uh, the federation and the decentralization part of it is is very messy. Like the reason why it never picked up and like actually caught on as a platform that people would want to use is because of all the different implementations are so like the the features are not there for most of them. And while technically speaking, the protocol can do a lot of those things. Like encryption, for instance. Right. That's there's, not on by default. There's no requirement to have uh, encryption. There's no requirement to have like group rooms. There's no requirement to have most things that you would want in a community uh, conversational or just a regular communi communication platform in general. They're just not there. And the reason it's not there is because it's built to be designed to be extensible. That's why the name has the extensible messaging part. Uh, it's very flexible in what you can do. But because so many different implementations exist, there is no way to really fully federate these these servers. And to build your own server, depending on what platform you're using to set it up, it can be you know hit or miss in terms of like difficulty. With the, the Converse JS, I've never tried that particular one, but it's interesting in terms of like having a web client with XMPP. That's interesting. But overall, I, I think that the the amount of effort it requires to set these up and then also to federate them is pretty difficult because you have to know what servers that allow federation to be able to set up the, the federation. And it's just, it's just not a clean experience because of the way it's built. But I, it, arguably, you could say that XMPP is maybe you know one of the best, if not the best protocols for this kind of thing. 
but it also has some big holes or some big issues that exist. So, for example, I was talking about the implementation compliance because it's such a mess that, you know, there's so many different implementations of the protocol. There's no way to reliably have expectation for a client to be built for any in integrating any kind of server, like regardless of which, if it's whether it's federated or not, you have no idea what that server offers feature wise. Then you also have the fact that it's not optimized for mobile usage. Uh, it uses active messaging, which is the uh, real time only kind of style that IRC uses, which is good in terms of like when they made it in 1999. But right. it's problematic for mobile usage because then there you have you're constantly having the, the the system connected and using tons of bandwidth in order to actually stay all in, involved in that servers. Uh, so I do think that XMPP is cool, but I think the biggest value that XMPP offered was that protocols learned what not to do because this was made in like 1999 and there were standards that were created by the, the protocol that other pro the other standards created for, you know, var variety of different types of software saw how they implemented it and how it didn't work and made different requirements. Like for example, uh, some stuff have different requirements in terms of like, you have to have two different implementations to adopt something and implement it in their uh, client or server before it's considered standard of the protocol and rather than just one because that means you have less likelihood to have this uh, mix, mixed situation where you don't know what is expected because if everybody could just do whatever they want it can cause you know some confusion about what is available it's usable but it seemed overly dis difficult i've set up lots of servers lots of servers for mm -hmm. this network and I am not scared to go in and learn a new protocol or learn something new to set something up. I mean, Jitsi is, is a lot of the work that uh, I did for our patrons and things like that. But this, to me, I, it was like my eyes were glazing over when I was looking at the instructions. Jill, what are your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, that was the same with me. In fact, I was going through and like Ryan, I was trying to find instructions on how to set up a server and didn't. And even though I know it's based on XML, the extensible markup language, it still seemed really, really complex for XML. Yeah, their instructions yeah. were terrible. And it, <laughs> and it's Very little documentation. Too. One more thing yeah. I want to mention is it looks like a lot of proprietary services use this. Why? Yes. Why, are, why is proprietary grabbing this up? Because XMPP's licensing allows them to do whatever they want, which can be good and bad. And in the case of like Google Talk, Skype, um, WhatsApp... WhatsApp. Zoom, it all, Zoom yeah. yeah, and also like uh, there's there's tons of different things that have it. Facebook Messenger has had it for a long, used XMPP for a long time. the 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 way the license is built, because uh, they have multiple different types of licensing structures, but most of it all still allows them to do whatever they want. So the fact that they can create all of these powerful platforms, but create them in a silo, means that all the benefits that they made for their own stuff does not go into the protocol itself because they can keep it them, to themselves. And that's why I've seen a lot of people talk about how so many different platforms use XMPP, and that proves that it's the best option. But they're all siloed, so none of the benefits yeah. that exist for those platforms actually go out to anyone else. So it, it kind of defeats the point of having an open federated platform when the ones that are mostly using it, like the vast majority of the time of the platforms that use XMPP to a large scale are all proprietary silos. Yeah. I, I see some of the communities asking about like Dino IM, it uses XMPP and OMEMO for security. That's the encryption protocol that you can turn on for those. So there's a lot of different implementations that I saw of people utilizing this. So you don't have to use XMPP with just the converse.js. There's a lot of different sure. Um, clients and things you can use. I think the key for me is when when we did that segment, we were talking about, and it's a great question, Eric, uh, we were talking about mm -hmm. building a community. And the easiest way to build a community if you're releasing software, if you're doing a podcast like us, and what was the best choice there? And to me, Matrix and Element are still is still the answer out of all this because it has all of the advantages of XMPP and I, I can still link it all over the place and I could still have my own servers and I have the control. And it's just a lot easier to get people across uh, other mm -hmm. communities and things to communicate with us as well. So you don't just have to be a DL member in the element matrix world. You can search and 
easily find other communities you want to be part of too. Yeah, that's a great point. And also the fact that Matrix uh, connects to XMPP servers. So if you want to, you can still use that. You can still get in, involved with Jabber servers and stuff like that, uh, provided that you know where they are. Like This is kind of weird, but I'll say it. Decentralization is fantastic, except for when it's trying to create a community and you want to have people to know where to go to find the place to join. You need a little bit of centralization. That's there. the biggest hurdle yeah. that you have to try to overcome in there. I would like a centralized, decentralized platform. Yeah. You know, centralized <laughs> place to get to the decentralized stuff. But Which listen, is kind of Matrix, really. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Eric, oh. thank you for sending the question. Yeah. It, it really, And again, I'm no expert in this, so I, I love for feedback from the community. If there's something we're missing in that conversation, please let us know. Uh, and we love hearing from you, all of you in the worldwide community that we have. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down in the nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org or you can join the community discussions over on our forum or dlnforum.com. Speaking of setting up servers, this episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With that platform, you can build, deploy, scale apps, static websites faster and easier using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point app platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository. Let it do all the heavy lifting, whether using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, container images, whatever it is. Listen, for Converse.js, I highly recommend they go release their app in the marketplace. Imagine how much more adoption they would have with the one-click app marketplace where you can have a server set up almost immediately with a single click. That is the advantage of DigitalOcean. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path. You can take more control of your infrastructure as it grows and you set it up. As Destination Linux listener, this is the best part. If you go to open your browser, type in do.co slash DLN, they're going to give you $100 to drop a bunch of servers. You can do a bunch of little droplets at $5. You can do one gigantic droplet. do.co slash DLN. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So we're going to be talking about like what Jill mentioned in the intro that Linux is ready to dominate the desktop. Not we're at, we're not asking the question is it no. ready? No, no, no. We are okay. telling you we think we think it is ready okay. for sure. So let's let's talk about why we think that. So from the Linus Tech Tip videos to the Valve using Linux as the main OS for their new gaming console, the Steam Deck, there is no doubt about it. Linux has grown in popularity. Uh, however. Mm -hmm. As Linus videos show, there may be some paper cuts and stuff that still exists, but that's, I mean, that's computing. There's always going to be something, right? Uh, but that's what we want to talk about today. We've taken over the server world. Uh, Linux powers most of the internet. It runs all the top supercomputers in the world. So what's still needed for us to take over the desktop as the final frontier of what Linux can do? So we're going to talk, we're going to start the discussion off with the Linus Tech Tips Linux challenge. And uh, we're, actually, I made some reaction videos for this challenge. If people want to know, uh, see my opinion in full in-depth sort of stuff, uh, we'll have that linked in the show notes for that. But Ryan, what is your take on the Linus videos? First of all, I love your reaction videos, but your thumbnails especially are some of my favorite because you have <laughs> him and you facing off for the discussion. I just, uh, you know, you're I actually just showed up the thumbnail too, as you, as you mentioned it. So that's, nice. kind of that's perfect. Oh, cool. So Michael does all the thumbnails for my channel. Well, not all of them. All the ones you see that are good. Those are Michael's. All the ones that you see are terrible. Those are when I do my <laughs> thumbnails. And Michael's got a very good talent at that. And he gets embarrassed when I do a thumbnail and fixes them for me. I never did a reaction to the Linus videos. Uh, I've talked about it to, to you, Jill and, and Michael, of course. But mm -hmm. overall, I think they were really good. Uh, they demonstrated some of the issues that we take for granted as experienced users. When I did the 30 Days of Linux challenge back when I started Linux, I knew nothing about Linux and this community swallowed me up and made me part of the family like Borg, I guess I'll be simulated. Uh, when I did that challenge, one of the things I think was unfair that he did in those videos, when I was doing the challenge, I made sure to do research before I was going to do a video. Absolutely. Just like I did when I started with the Mac OS videos and I had no allegiance to Linux at all. I had never used it. If you go back and watch those videos four, four years ago, I'd never used it. I'd, I'd never used it as a desktop. I was very unfamiliar with it, but I at least tried to do enough research to know because I understood I'm going into a different environment. 
just like a Windows user going to Mac. You're going into a different environment. Your control copy, control C, control V, those things aren't going to work on a Mac. They're not going to work by default. There is no control key. So these are things that you don't go, oh, Mac's such a piece of crap because they don't have that or it doesn't work like Windows. Grr. You go, hey, that's a different environment. I'm going to do some research on that. And so that was what frustrated me about the videos is he wanted to go about it like, I'm not going to do no research or anything. And I'm just going to yeah. go in here and start playing and try to learn it. And then he expected it to be like Windows. And that's what we have to get clear, I think, to people out there is that when you go to Mac, nobody expects it to be Windows. And when you go to Linux, we need to have people stop expecting it to be like Windows and stop expecting the experience to be the same because it's not. And that's what I would like him to have done differently in those videos. And I think there's a really good point to in the latest Hardware Addicts episode where I was working for a friend on the Mac trash can, which ended up being oh. a really, <laughs> really difficult situation to get fixed. And there were a lot of things that went wrong. But there were so many, you know, people look at Mac and say, oh, it's so easy. There were so many things that I had to do that were so backwards in order to get this repaired, like going back six OS versions so that I could get a firmware package in one of those OSs out there, because they're not going to give you that firmware package. If you're on the latest OS, you have to go back and slowly upgrade all the way up. There were dumb things like that all over the place that caused me hours of time. But at the same time, in my head, I'm like, it's a different world. It's a different environment. They all have paper cuts. So that's my view on his videos. They were good. I think they exposed some things that really do need to be fixed. But I think it was unfair how he went about those videos. Yeah. And I do think that there was a lot of stuff that was fixed for thanks to those videos. So those that is good. Uh, but I, I think it's great a point about this is a completely different platform, but he was expecting it to be like Windows. And I think there is to some degree, a valid thing that like some things should be similar, but expecting everything to work like Windows is just not fair yeah, at all. Ridiculous. But yeah. there are some, you know, there are some great points that Linus made in the videos, and I sure. do think that there's a lot of benefits from it. However, the whole thing about Linux and the expectations that people have with it, it actually annoys me because, like you were talking about with Mac OS, people don't go, oh, macOS is not Windows, therefore it's terrible. They actually mm -hmm. kind of praise macOS for being different and yeah. punish Linux yeah. for being different. Like, it's kind of weird. Well, and, and we're software, more different. Linux is more different. Yeah. And if software <laughs> doesn't way. work in macOS, they don't go, man, Mac's junk. They go to Adobe or whatever and say, hey, this software needs to be working on Mac. And yeah. it's not like macOS isn't capable of running it. They don't make it compatible and and... This is especially a big deal with the M1 because in the vi recent videos I did with Mac, for instance, there's a lot of software that doesn't work out of the box with the M1 yet. There's a lot that does. They did an amazing job. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of stuff that doesn't work, but people are just they're willing to be patient and deal with that. But Linux doesn't get that same treatment, not only from its own community, it doesn't get that same treatment, but it doesn't get the same treatment from outsiders as well. And I think that's where we as a community could really help. Number one, set people's expectations instead of saying, oh, let me get you this distro that looks just like Windows. Don't set their expectation that it's going to be just like Windows. Treat it like you would treat somebody you were moving from Windows to Mac. Yeah, yeah. my thought. Absolutely. I, I like that. And also number two, make sure that you're giving them something that is beginner friendly. Don't just, yeah. because you like it, don't just give it to someone just because it's your, your preference. Make sure it's oh, a that thing hurts. that's good for them. <laughs> what about Arch? Uh, especially Arch. Especially oh, sure. don't do that. <laughs> not talking to you. <laughs> so yeah, you know, Linux has always been perceived as, as actually uh, the hacker OS that requires the use of a terminal and thus hard to use. It's, right. it's <laughs> you know, from the early uh, years and then in the 90s, that was the perception of Linux. Which the back accurate then, perception. It, it, it was <laughs> accurate. Back then. But by the time the 2000s hit, especially the, the mid 2000s, things started changing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's one of the problems is the average consumer doesn't think that Linux has an easy to use interface. They're still stuck in the old times <laughs> and that Windows and Mac are easier to use. And yes, as uh, Ryan and Michael were just just saying, the comparisons to Windows or, or Mac has always been there. But Linux does need to be taken on its own merit. And one of the important points of all this is people forget that they had to once learn how to use Windows and Mac OS. 
and yes. stop complaining about learning a new operating system, Linux, because they once had to learn it, learn Windows and Mac, and they have forgotten that because it was Wrong. so long I was born ago. Three 3.11 on the brain. Yeah, <laughs> I just knew that Windows right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. it's a, a, a great—it's a great point. I mean, there's a lot of people who you know don't think about like they—they they talk about how it's so easy to use Windows. Like, no, it's not. If you are if you started with Mac and you switched to Windows, it's yeah. going to be just <laughs> as painful as anything else. Uh, exactly. Maybe even more so because you're learning a whole new paradigm for everything. You know. Yeah. So I—that's I, a great point about that. Yeah, and and the nice thing also with Linux is you can you can give someone a. a uh, desktop interface that looks like Windows or look like looks like Mac OS to help them with their transition. <laughs> so, Michael, you made a bold claim at the beginning. You said it's not a question: Is Linux ready for the dominating the desktop? It is ready. Why do you say that? Why do you say it's ready now? A lot of people might disagree with you. Well, so the the question about whether or not Linux can do it is uh, is what what I'm looking at that that question about saying it, it is ready. Is it there right now? Not really, because it's mostly the lack of certain types of software is really the only barrier that exists. In my opinion, I think that as, though, as that software was available, Linux would easily be the choice for everyone. So because it, it already uh, accomplishes all the other tasks. I mean, it even does gaming better than than Windows does yeah. on Proton, which is compensating for what windows has and doing a translation layer and still yes. has better <laughs> still performance better. sometimes yeah. Yeah. that's that's how much it is ready now that's not to say that the applications are already there and it's currently at its point where it could be instantly you know just flip a switch no but the only thing that like i said is like adobe products or you know any type of uh, for, you know insert whatever industry is not available for linux that's the only thing that stops Linux from being the dominant force. And mm -hmm. uh, there are people who are looking into Absolutely. it more and more thanks to the popularity changing with Linux. And that's awesome. But I think that there's so much potential. Yeah. So Linus himself, as I understood it, and I was looking into this earlier today, intended Linux to be a desktop operating system. It wasn't built mm -hmm. for just servers. Yes. Um, so that that's its intended use. And yes, we've dominated everything else around the desktop, but I, I think we can still take the desktop on here. But he also mentioned later in an interview that he felt one of the things that keeps Linux back from being adopted as a major desktop is that it's not available in the stores on most hardware. Now we have the Raspberry Pi. We have companies like Dell and Lenovo who have now made Linux versions online. But when you walk into a Best Buy or a Micro Center, you see the beautiful booth that Apple sets up. You see the beautiful booth that Google sets up with the Chromebooks. And they both have spent a lot of money, at least in my local Best Buy and stuff, mm -hmm. having these brilliant displays. And you see the Windows section, but you don't see anything Linux. I mean, you could make the argument with Chrome OS, but to me, Chrome OS is Linux with all the things that make me like Linux not included. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a Chrome OS fan, as a lot of people know, but um, like l Chrome OS is Linux minus minus, you know, typically. Yeah, plus, plus stuff. <laughs> all the foundational reasons why I use Linux for privacy and everything else. Uh, the Google Chromebook takes away. But in any case, it, it's at least there. There's something there. The Raspberry Pi, I'd say, would be the closest thing that's in most stores. But what do you guys think about that? The fact that we don't have that hardware on the shelves and how do we fix that? I mean, we talked about Manjaro last week you know, doing some partnerships and things. But again, it's not on the shelves in stores. I know. We're, we're so close because we, we've already got the the main, major suppliers, you know, with Linux-installed laptops and, and workstations that you can get online. So we just, mm -hmm. just need someone like, like, like Dell or like HP to, to bring it to the, the consumer market. The, yeah. That's... Yeah, or or System seventy six. Contact uh, Best Buy. <laughs> that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Wouldn't yeah. that be cool to see System yeah. seventy six booth there? Yeah, that'd yeah. Be dope. yeah. There is some effort with some of these companies doing it, like Dell and HP and Lenovo have options for Linux, but they don't promote it hardly they, at all. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's the the issue that I see. That if we could get these companies to you know do a partnership with some Linux company, for example, Red Hat or SUSE, partnering with these companies to kind of do a, an effort to push it out there, I think that would be the best uh, approach to you know su successfully mm -hmm. do it quickly. And I think that that would be a great option. But I also would like to see you know just companies that are like SUSE and Red Hat and maybe Canonical to push the desktop forward 
on their own rather than having to do a partnership thing. They can do what Google did. And Google just got partnerships with companies and made their own product essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there could yeah. be a like a laptop that is a product of these companies and you sell that in the stores as when instead of trying to make every single platform also have a, a version for Linux, we could just have a product that is from, you know, a Red Hat laptop that's powered by Fedora or something like, like that. Like the Red Hat Robotics kit we talked about yeah. last week. Yeah. Exactly. Got a Red Hat laptop. You know, that would be awesome. Be, oh yeah, it'd be amazing. Yeah. And uh, you know, another point I was just thinking of as we're talking is that us Linux enthusiasts have been giving um, the OS to our our parents, our grandparents, and and our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, for those that are just doing basic web and email and not having to use a piece of proprietary software like Adobe, <laughs> they're just fine. It's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. And the even even the mainstream is used to using a variety of user interfaces um, on mobile devices like Android, iOS. Chrome OS and smart devices, even Samsung's Tizen and LG's WebOS, people have grown more accustomed to using, you know, multiple UIs throughout the day. And this should make the transition to Linux desktop a lot easier. And one of the biggies is since security and privacy are buzzwords now in the mainstream media, more people are willing to try a more secure operating system. That makes my heart sore, by the way. Yeah. You know, that, that <laughs> know. it is a buzzword out there and yeah. that, that companies are talking about it and people are looking for it and people are asking for it. Absolutely. And the companies that have violated privacy, with like Facebook, which we'll talk about later, are, are it's costing them money not to be thinking about privacy and security. And this is all good news, I think, for Linux. Also, the chip shortage is probably good news for Linux. Frankly, you, a yeah. lot of people are probably having to go get older machines. Older And computers. as they're getting older computers, the thing that mm-hmm. runs the best on those, of course, is Linux. Linux is not only for older computers, by the way, it runs great on modern stuff, but you can run it on the older stuff, which is neat. But is the lack of Adobe products and Microsoft Office? To me, we've solved gaming. Gaming solved enough, and especially with Steam Deck and things coming, that... Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about gaming anymore. It used to be, I even went through a bunch of history of uh, Reddit posts and things talking about Linux. And it used to be all about gaming. And if it just had gaming, I would switch. But you don't see that very often anymore. You might see, well, if it had this one game, then I would switch. But most people are okay with the selection. But Adobe products and Microsoft Office continue to be a huge pool in not only the business world, but the consumer world as well. You don't want your resume, for instance, that you created in some other software you're sending to a business to be all scrambled by the time it gets to the company you're sending your resume to because you don't use Office. What are your thoughts on this? I think that's a, a great point about like there's a lot of stuff that's not there, but I do think that there's a like the the gaming thing your point about it's pretty much there. I, I think it's pretty much there. There are some games that you can't play because of insert whatever reasons we might get to in a little bit, but there are. Uh, most of the time, people you're saying you don't see people talking about if gaming was there, we would switch because a lot of them have switched because gaming is there. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. But the the Adobe products is a thing that uh, I have an issue with for personally. So I I don't actually have to use it most of the time anymore, which is fantastic. But I've I have probably 20 years experience in Photoshop because uh, it was the not just the industry standard, but it was the best option you had for a long time. So mm-hmm. for a long for while I've been in Linux for many years in primary like only using Linux for many years, I also had a virtual machine that ran Photoshop. And they all the sole purpose it right. had to exist was Photoshop. Yeah. Now, thankfully <laughs> I haven't had to use that in years because of uh, some alternatives I've found, uh, but for the most part I still would need it occasionally if the certain, you know, t- different types right. of work comes up. So those kinds of things are still an issue and there are so there are software packages that are still there that are holding people back from switching over and when people say that alternatives are, you know, viable Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. It just depends on the alternative the situation and, mm-hmm. and how what the what's at risk, right? And the good news is Adobe and Microsoft Office. I would say Office is the closest in this particular scenario because mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't use Adobe stuff, as you'll see by my thumbnails on my videos. Um, the uh, <laughs> Microsoft Office is in the cloud now. There are mm-hmm. limitations yeah. to it. For instance, if you are somebody who works with data a lot and you need Excel, uh, the limitations mm-hmm. in the office version is it's it's very limited in the type of spreadsheets you can load in it and those type of things. Uh, so you can have big spreadsheets or big analysis done on the cloud version of Microsoft Office. 
Um, but Office, at least, you could go in there if you needed to write your resume and make sure, for instance, I'm just using something as a scenario that would be really important that's translated correctly. You could do that in Linux, open your browser, put your resume into Word uh, on the cloud, and you'd be fine. Adobe is moving to the cloud, too. So as these things move to the cloud, I think this becomes less of an issue, potentially, right? I think that it's possible that's, that's less of an issue. Well, the, 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 things going into the cloud, making it web-based stuff, does make stuff easier to do, sure. Because uh, you don't have to worry about installing the software because it's already there. You just got a browser. But there is the, the thing about Adobe's approach to doing the web-based stuff is bad. Like, it's very minimal. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I don't the, use it, the web, obviously. The web GUI of their Photoshop is just like, might as well not even exist. And the creative cloud thing where it's basically just a ping back to their servers to prove that you have the oh. license or whatever. That's really what that originally Format. is. Their cloud is pinging <laughs> yeah. back. That's to their sure cloud. You they, have your, yeah. they, they do have yeah. technically a web a, a web interface, but it's just, it's awful. There is a competitor <laughs> called Photo P, P-E-A, and it is basically 70% of what Photoshop is in the cloud. Like it's a web-based editor and you can just use it. That's it's what I switched good. to. Even for yeah. me, yeah. it's good. It's, yeah. really good. It's, it's really solid. So I think but, Adobe will probably have to try to compete in that arena soon as things mm-hmm. like Photopea. I keep hearing it, by the way. It used to be something that I just knew Michael had talked about it, but now I'm hearing regular people talk about, hey, just use Photopea, just use Photopea, which meets most people's needs. And like you said, it's 70%, yeah. not 100%. Um, but I think those are things. The last thing I want to mention is uh, real quick is education. I think it's really important that we get into the education system. We had Bill on to talk about education in the schools and things. But with the kids growing up, Jill, you mentioned awesomely that, yes, I train my kids on Linux. All of us are bringing our kids yeah. into Linux. Um, but from a school standpoint, what they're learning at school, a lot of them are learning on Chromebooks. Our school, kids school required Chromebooks mm-hmm. for them and things like that. Um, to me, this is unfortunate. This is an area where if we could get inexpensive laptops, not only for education, but the general consumer, one of the problems with the Linux stuff that's available is generally $900 plus to get yourself a Linux laptop right. from it's a, all developer a Dell or stuff. Lenovo or anything yep. else. And they're great laptops, but that's a lot out of a lot of people's financial range. So I think we do need a low cost option, kind of like a, a Chrome, but it's actually has the fundamentals of Linux that we want, that we use from that aspect. So what do you think about education? Yeah, there is now with my students, my students are um, high school and college students. Mm-hmm. So I'm teaching them, you know, the Linux desktop and using, you know, Blender and DaVinci Resolve and uh, Krita and and whatnot. And so they're, they're learning Linux, the true Linux desktop, not Chrome OS because I'm with older students. So no Chromebooks in my classroom. And you find, Jill, that they're very adaptable to Linux. So you you don't have any problems with them being like... Well, I always teach them, you know, in the, in the, especially, particularly in the film industry, it's all Linux. All animation is done on Linux, whether it's, it's uh, Blender, Maya, Moto, it's all Linux based and not just on the server side, but on content creation as well. So I want them to learn what Pixar and Disney and DreamWorks are using. So nice. it's, it's very important to, to move them. So my advanced students all go on Linux <laughs> and use all the programs on Linux. So we got Jill covering high school and college. Now we need a, yeah. someone to cover middle school and elementary and we'll be set. Yeah, like Bill. Bill. Yeah, Bill's, Bill's doing amazing. Also, uh, latest episode of Pseudo Show has Bill on there talking about education and Linux. Absolutely. So yeah. awesome. Now, we can't let Michael off the hook here, Jill. No, there's, there's Michael. a topic that I need. I, it's the need for speed. It's need the need for to speed. See, it's the need for Michael <laughs> to finally get angry on an episode of DL. But if I do it, Michael gets super angry. So, Jill, bring this up to Michael. Bring this up. Okay. So, Michael, mm-hmm. is Tim Sweeney right when he says the Linux desktop is too fragmented to support? <laughs> Um, no, no, he's definitely not right. Uh, this is an interesting topic. I do think that it's, it's, I guess it's good that we're covering on the show. Um, I, I realize that it is just to uh, uh, annoy me, but I do think there is some value to like at least addressing it. So, uh, Tim Sweeney said a bunch of stuff recently that most of which I could, uh, not, uh, not agree with in any way whatsoever. A couple things he said that has a little bit of merit, but uh, then he completely negates that. But, um, so he says in a quote, uh, Epic would be happy to put Fortnite on steam. We wouldn't be happy to give steam 20 to 30% of its revenue for the privilege of being on steam. 
Supporting the Steam Deck hardware is a separate issue, but the market for non-Steam hosted games on limited availability for Steam Deck hardware is how big exactly. So he's basically just making fun of the idea like, of putting it Steam on Deck Steam. Because he doesn't he thinks that Steam Deck is not a very big platform, even though what was the number, Ryan? What did they sell the first the day? First Day was 110,000 units. Yeah, I yeah. think that might be a significant market. Uh, yeah. you know. uh, Slightly. But someone asked him on Twitter, if, if is Fortnite coming to it because of the easy anti-cheat stuff? And he says that Fortnite, no, but there is a big effort underway to maximize easy anti-cheat compatibility with Steam. So it's kind of like, why is if, if you're putting in the effort for EA, EAC to work, why are you not also putting the effort for Fortnite that uses EAC to work? And he had some comments about the kernel modifications and saying that you would need to do all these things. But the way that he's looking at it is kind of interesting because Windows requires those kernel modifications stuff. But Linux doesn't necessarily need that to do do anti-cheat stuff. You can do that without doing the the kernel modifications. But there's also ways to check if a special kernel module is added, and they could do their own kernel modules themselves. So they could do all these sorts of solutions that are totally practical for this. But to say that uh, Linux is too fragmented, I would argue, well, one, you could just choose the distributions that have the latest kernels that have support for the things that you need and to say, you know, the other ones are too old and we can't support those. That's better than nothing. But right. even at the very least, you could still support SteamOS and, and, the, and the Steam Deck because that's In a art. single platform, not an Arch. It'd be a little bit different because they, 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 <laughs> they move at different speeds. You're right, Michael. They should support Arch. I agree 100%. They Tim, move, support Arch. They move at yeah. different <laughs> speeds. So SteamOS, while based on Arch, would not be the same as supporting Arch because of the speed difference. But, okay, sure, anyway. <laughs> so the thing about Tim Sweeney is that people have mentioned this uh, many, to- like many times this past week about uh, what's, like, he's... Out of touch? Making a, he's made out of touch by making a totally. big fuss about him not supporting Linux and stuff like that. And to me, I was like, oh, I'm more surprised when he does support Linux. Like, I'm not surprised when he's anti-Linux. I'm surprised when he does, in, in the EAC announced they were going to have some Linux support in Proton. I'm like, oh, really? That's shocking. Or Epic Games announced that they're going to do a grant to Lutris. That's Absolutely. that's shocking. <laughs> yeah. all, all these things that Epic Games does for Linux is more shocking because in 2018, he made a tweet that was so ridiculous and absurd that it, it blew my mind saying that installing Linux is sort of the equivalent of moving to Canada when one doesn't like U.S. political trends. <laughs> what? Like, what? <laughs> like, okay, for one, you can't live in both countries at the exact same time. Your physical body can't do that. But you can dual boot a machine, so that's super weird, even by itself. But there's so many different problems with that statement because you can make a, diff- you can make a change on your system and still have access to other things. Whereas moving your to a different country is a bit of an extreme analogy that really falls on its face. I mean, pretty Tim quickly. likes to do a lot of this, and yeah. then he thinks, and then I see him come and do something like a grant to Lutris and stuff, which is cool. But he moves his mouth a lot before he actually thinks and really considers and ponders something. And I hope it's a trend that changes, because while I don't think that Epic Games' current lineup like Fortnite is 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 necessary as it was at one point. I mean it was it, it's I think it's starting to lose some of its popularity, at least based on my kids' interest in things. I think Epic Games can create some really good stuff out there. And I would love to see Tim Sweeney do a little more thinking, a little more talking with the community and Linux and the developers and see what's out there. More talking with Lutris, more work with Lutris. Uh, before running his mouth on Twitter and things and more understanding the gaming market would be important for like uh-huh. how popular the Steam Deck is. Yeah, that especially would be probably a pretty good idea. Especially Epic Games talking about how they 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 they're for they're doing stuff for the gamers and then they also create exclusive deals on their own store, which is the exact opposite of benefit for the gamers. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, that's a little bit messed up, Epic, you know. Yeah. But yeah. the the same thing is uh, is kind of applies to the way that they're treating the, the store. Because, like, they talked about how it's fragmented for Linux and they it's not worth the effort. Well, SteamOS support with a Steam Deck, that is clearly a good platform to do it, even if it's the only one you do. So to argue, I think that's, that's kind of ridiculous. But, to, but the real key point here is that they wouldn't be happy to give Steam 20 to 30% of its revenue. That is really the key of why 
they're not supporting exactly. it. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, really, the, the it boils down to they don't want to share revenue, and and fair enough if you don't want to do it, but you could at least support. You know, have a agreement with Valve to create the functionality of at least doing it, and if someday you could install like because you can install flat packs inside of the steam deck so maybe make the heroes heroic not the heroic but the epic heroic game launcher is what you can install the epic game store with right now there you go but to, you, what but you to make to do, it Tim, just get with michael just get with michael yeah you'll yeah. yeah. sort all this out jill you did a good job somehow michael didn't turn red he didn't turn three shades <laughs> of red you bring up tim sweeney it could really get michael worked up because they messed with his baby rocket yes. league uh, I know, I know, Rocket League. That's why you didn't bring up Rocket League. That's why I didn't do it. <laughs> they did. They. Uh, he's messed with my baby too, the Unreal Engine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it started on on uh, on Linux. They were giving it full support, and it does work on Linux. But they were working on a better installer, and it never saw the light of day, which is really annoying because companies like uh, Pixar and Disney and DreamWorks are using the Unreal <laughs> Engine for their uh, mm-hmm. their TV shows. Talking about gaming, kind of wrapping this up, like I, a few years back, I gave Sony some free advice on this show. That advice would still to this day be a huge game changer, in my opinion, for Sony. Microsoft is buying up all these studios. Sony's mm-hmm. buying up some of these studios. Microsoft has no exclusives anymore. They announced that with the latest Xbox, right? When they say that, what they mean is that their particular games will always work on PC and the consoles. Yeah, Windows and Xbox. No exclusive Windows and Xbox. But still exclusive to Microsoft. (laughs) They still have their Game Pass, which is probably one of the best deals in gaming. I know a lot of even my patrons and things, we, we talk about privacy and security and stuff, but the Game Pass is such a good deal. A lot of them can't pass it up. You can play any game you want for one small fee. It's a really solid deal. Sony doesn't have anything like this. Sony needs to make Linux, like Valve has, its official operating system and have its exclusives launch on Linux so that you get people away from the Windows thing. It's a true competition there. So imagine Gods of War and those Ratchet and Clank and those exclusives are now only available on Linux. So if you want to play Sony games, you're on Linux there and you create that same type of subscription service. That's the answer, Sony. You're welcome. You can send a check in the mail. That's perfect because they're already using BSD and it's easy to convert those games to run on Linux. There you go, Jill. That's on right. the PlayStation and whatnot. You can ha- I mean, you still do the exclusive of the same thing. Like you have Linux yeah. and PlayStation and then it's, that's there. Yeah. yeah. That's that's how you can say you don't have exclusives anymore too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I, I think that's great. And also it's kind of in the same, like uh, there's, there's something I've been thinking about recently about how Windows exclusives are kind of weird that all these different developers and these game publishers will put games only on Windows, but not, but, and then give them an exclusive for nothing. Yeah. Like there is, mm-hmm. there's, you know, the, the whole battle between PlayStation and, and Xbox was you get a bunch of, you get an exclusive, but you get paid to have an exclusive on that platform. But they're just giving it for free to Windows. Why not just make another version for Linux or in the you know, case of Sony? Yeah you know, focus on Linux. Like, like Ryan was said, I was think that it's great because why at the very least charge Microsoft for making your game on windows, if that's possible. Right. Listen, we went the full gamut. Of course we're nerds (laughs) and geeks. So we talked about (laughs) gaming a lot, but the, the answer is, I think there's more work to be done in Linux. However, for most users out there, if they approach Linux, like they would approach any other operating system, Mac OS, Chrome OS, anything else, Linux is ready to go. Get Absolutely. your family, get your friends, get Woo-hoo. people on it. It's ready to rock and roll. <laughs> yep. We we use it every single week to produce shows, to write shows, to do art for shows, to uh, do animations, to do graphics, to do video editing. We do it all in Linux here. And so I think it's ready to go. Yeah, I, absolutely. We, we're For most people, it's ready to go, just like Ryan said. And, just, and once those little bitty pieces were fixed, it's ready to dominate. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yes. Woohoo. Jill, say dominate in a really angry, like, announcer voice. <laughs> dominate. <laughs> Dude, dominate. <Linux> extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Linux extreme domination. Uh, now I'm ready to use Linux. 
Now, if you want to dominate the process of being secure with all your passwords, you need to check out Bitwarden. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. Like I said, Bitwarden is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. And how does it do it? Well, it gives you so many different tools to store your password in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords so you don't have to worry about what the password actually is that you're storing, and also automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Plus, you can access across many different types of devices, whether it's your mobile web, mobile browsers, um, well, actually, yes, mobile browsers, mobile apps, web browsers on your desktop, desktop applications if you want to, or even on the command line if you want to. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your, your private data with end-to-end encryption on your local devices for it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is one of the best things about Bitwarden. Another great thing about Bitwarden, open source software. Bitwarden is a fantastic password manager, so check it out. Go into bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. Did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you also want to check out their premium account because they start at less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and just so much more. You get all of this for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And also, if you're not familiar, you can check out the business accounts and the family accounts because they are fantastic ways to get started, get other people started with their own password manager because maybe they've never used a password manager before and they want an easy way to set up you can help them set it up with like a family account and that sort of thing so check it out bitwarden.com slash dln to get started and thanks again to bitwarden for sponsoring destination linux so this week in the news there is an article that caught my attention as a privacy enthusiast i do a lot of videos on what i call sane privacy on my channel so what i try to do is uh not do privacy in such a way of like, oh, have burner phones and wear an aluminum foil hat and all that stuff. But how can you simply make sure that you're doing things to keep your data more secure, your privacy more intact, that anybody can do at any skill level? So when I see something like Mozilla partners with Facebook as a headline, that starts to freak me out a little bit, (laughs) as you would imagine. Yeah. (laughs) And listen, Facebook is really interesting kind of journey they're going through now. You're talking about a company that had year over year constant growth of their subscriber base. It seemed like it was never going to end. They were making billions in the stock market. Everybody was was installing Facebook, had Facebook. And now you're in a situation, because we talked about earlier, that privacy and security is becoming more on the top of people's minds, thankfully, that people are starting to consider things like Facebook to be non-necessity anymore. And Facebook, for the first time I saw in the news, is no longer having positive growth, user growth. It has negative user growth. They lost $10 billion alone from Apple turning on their app tracker. I did a video on DuckDuckGo. Since Android, of course, doesn't have the app tracking blocking yet, DuckDuckGo is creating an application that's in beta right now. So if you download their browser, it will block apps across your entire device, not just DuckDuckGo stuff, which is amazing. Very cool. um, From a privacy standpoint. So... You've got all of this stuff coming up that's really piling on companies like Facebook that make primarily most of their money. They're called Meta now, but Facebook make primarily most of their money out of selling your user data. Now, Mozilla, on the other hand, is a different kind of company than Facebook. It got its name out there from a privacy and security standpoint and has done a lot of great work in the privacy realm over the years. It's also had some stumbling that it's done as well. I mean, we gave them a good whooping on a prior episode, and then the next release had a bunch of new privacy things like it should be focused on in there. The problem is these two companies together are like oil and water. Um, But the partnership and the thing they're doing here, I think, is very interesting. And if people take the time to actually look at it, it may be actually beneficial to privacy and security. I'm going to turn it over to Michael. This is what you do, Michael. You do marketing advertising, maybe people like me want it to go away forever, but the reality is it's not. It's not. What is your take on what their proposal here is between this partnership? So it's very interesting because a lot of people instantly had like a cringe factor on this. And when I first saw the the headline, I <laughs> thought for half yeah. a second... This is going to, no, no, let's let's actually read the yeah. article and know what's going on. 
And what it is, is that essentially they are cra- trying to create a way to do uh, advertising in, a, in, in, a, in such a way that's like an aggregate, but more importantly, to be a private approach to, um, to advertising. And this is a fantastic uh, goal to be, have because, I mean, advertising has been just terrible. Uh, uh, there was a country, I think it was Germany, but I'm not sure if it was Germany, but there was a country in, the, in Europe that deemed um, Google Analytics not uh, compatible with their the, the, the GDPR. GDPR, that's it. I had no, I could not remember. Uh, the GDPR. And that is a very important thing because Google Analytics is now sending out, or Google is now sending out emails to businesses trying to get them to, you know, send messages to their governmental stuff, whether it's U.S. or Europe or whatever. And they will basically like, uh, your business abilities are going to change if you don't do something about this and let your senators know. And like, uh, yeah, but it's basically we saying... We won't be able to show you relevant ads anymore. Oh, no. We won't be able to track everything you do online. Like, oh, Oh, no, that's horrible. But I think that overall, what F- Firefox is, or not Firefox, specifically Mozilla, it's not necessarily the browser, but what Mozilla is doing with uh, with this effort is super interesting. And it's not exclusively a Facebook Mozilla thing. They're trying to get more uh, parties involved, which I think would be great overall to, ca- to create this approach. Because for me, advertising is never going to go away. It, it, when it first has started happening, you know, hundreds of years ago, when people started, you know, promoting things, that's, it, since then, it's, it's just transformed in a new thing. And this is another method that it can transform into, but in a positive way of having an element of privacy attached to it. And I think that that's a fantastic goal. Whether this is going to happen or not, I don't know, because it's, it's in the early stages of this, right? Yeah, it's in the early mm-hmm. stages, and they are submitting this to a third-party ever privacy advertising technology community group for the proposal that they're doing on this. It's kind of based on Mozilla Firefox's Prio that they were doing, which is kind of yeah. this aggregated telemetry system that they're trying to build. And so the idea is you remove all the personal data and you aggregate these, these masses into groups. So Michael and Jill and me, we love stools. Well. Michael and Jill love stools. Ryan doesn't. And so those are your two categories. But instead of... You already admitted you do. Michael and Jill like stools. They remove their names out there and say these two anonymous people love stools and this person doesn't. So don't send them a stool advertisement. So that's kind of the idea. Except in Ryan's case, do send it to him because he just admitted that he loves stools. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't (laughs) Google. But, you know, so that's the idea. I think there's a couple of suggestions I have on how this could work. But I first want to hear from your thoughts on this, Jill. Yeah, so initially, like like both of you, I was kind of horrified <laughs> when I was reading, you know, saw the uh, topic that for this. PR. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Facebook, really? So, you know, Facebook, who has been maligned by the open source community and the world as a whole <laughs> for their security practices. Well, I really think they are trying to improve things, you know, by using a third party aggregate. And uh, Mozilla has already been using this technology and wants to join in with them. Uh, Interesting. And what's really cool is that Mozilla has used, and what they call it is the multi-party computation uh, technology, and it uses (laughs) cryptography to ensure that no one, uh, not even the receiving servers, can see individual responses the only way to view the data is an aggregate. And using this method would certainly be a better security system for Facebook since it has worked for Mozilla in the past. Yeah. So I, no, I think I, this is a really good idea. So that's kind of my, my idea too here is that this is terrible PR for Mozilla. Mozilla hasn't had a great run in the last few years from a reputation standpoint. And seeing headlines of Mozilla and Facebook partnering up, you could see the Reddit reactions immediately were negative. Michael, I was waiting for you to tell me how proud you were of me because when you sent it to me, you were the first person to send it to me. My initial <laughs> reaction wasn't Yes, wasn't you, when I sent it to you, you yeah. actually went and read the thing before commenting. I was like, oh, wow. this it, There yeah. is a possibility. old dog new tricks here. He can't teach an old dog new tricks. So... But I also think it's kind of interesting about like the people's reaction to it. If Facebook announced this themselves, 
no one would believe them. They would. It's laughable. It's ridiculous yeah. if, right. if Facebook themselves were doing it because it's very clear they're not. Facebook's not trustable. But for a long time, it's been like almost twenty years, I think. Mozilla has been a a great steward of the community for privacy and security and all this sorts of stuff, and even open source. So for a long time, Mozilla has been a very trustable part uh, entity. And yes, Mozilla has been not very good at their marketing these these past a few years or so, uh, especially the past couple of years. They've been doing some really weird PR things, but they still have the same underlying goal of privacy and security and creating an open open web. So I think that if you look at it from a different point of view, does Mozilla maybe help it easier to believe Facebook might actually care, the fact that Mozilla's involved? Rather than saying, oh, Mozilla has been tainted by Facebook, maybe it's the reverse where Mozilla's trying to help Facebook do something right. Yeah. And, and I think that people are, are, are yeah. latching onto the, the other one instead and because like there's an argument about you know how do you fix a, a system that's so massively broken will you get on the inside and try to fix it from within and that may be what mozilla is trying to do with this particular thing with facebook so by the way you could flip that around it's also how you destroy a company is uh, destroy it from within that so, doesn't help my point that, ryan <laughs> uh, you know but you're you're right there and here's the thing that mozilla needs to do this mm-hmm. whole process needs to be extraordinarily transparent and open source the yes. way their algorithm's going to work in order to to decentralize the information to make sure the servers can't get any of anything but aggregated data all of that needs to be out there in the open for the security experts and the privacy experts to look through to scrutinize for them to work with they're at least taking some steps sending this to this private private advertising technology community group where they can look at the technology that Facebook and them are looking to implement here uh, Facebook is desperate, I think, when you look at mm-hmm. the stocks, when you look at the loss of okay. users, when you look at the way things are changing, and Google's going to be there too. Facebook has to switch. That's why they changed their name. That's why they're talking about doing meta and different things. That's why they want to start selling products, because this idea of making your sole income based on just selling people's data is a dying idea, thankfully, because people are finally mm-hmm. waking up to realize how important privacy is. So I think this can be good. My advice here. And I know people at Mozilla listen to this podcast. You got to make this transparent. And I mean, really transparent, every element of it. And then this will be a huge win for you because you'll be the company that helped turn one of the most hated companies in the planet around potentially into doing something good. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic point. Yep. So Jill, take us into some gaming now, something a little happier, less privacy focused. What's going on in the gaming (laughs) world? So... Yeah, so does the Mozilla partnership with Facebook have you down? Yes. So so you would probably rather spend hours shooting mean aliens from the comfort of a spaceship or maybe uh, Michael and Ryan in another spaceship? (laughs) Why would you want to shoot us? We're we're beloved by this community. She's she's saying she wants to dominate. Yeah, <laughs> extreme, extreme, <laughs> extreme. So then we have a new game on Linux that is launching, you know, very, very soon uh, for you to look forward to called GunTech 2. And actually, this is really cool. So if you love the old school space shooters like our type, you're going to like GunTech. On Steam, the game describes itself like this. GunTech 2 is a return of the good old cave flyer shoot 'em ups genre. It's a twin shooter influenced by such classics as Thrust, Oids, Geometry Wards, and Asteroids Extreme <laughs> that we talked about a few weeks ago. That's where that came from, wasn't it? Yeah, oh it my was. God. It is. We did full circle. So you can uh, play in, in, in single player mode or couch co-op with up to four of your friends. <laughs> and what's really cool is is the game hasn't come out yet but it very very it's supposed to be released very very soon and in the trailer the graphics look really beautiful and yeah. the bosses are actually really big and epic me big and, r-type uh, bosses that fill yeah. up like half the screen that you're shooting at with your spaceship ones that are, thing. Yeah. ones that are easy to see which i like yeah. <laughs> and there is in fact there's a giant eel looking creature and a big creature with horns 
and a huge dragon. Yes, a huge, beautiful dragon in space. Oh. So <laughs> what's really cool is the story. It actually is, says on Steam, you fight alien life forms, rescue scientists, deliver vaccines to combat a deadly pandemic. The asteroid belt is filled with wild space aliens, many of them results of failed human experiments to Ooh, create like life that survives in space. <laughs> you will even find a dragon in space. <laughs> and so this is launching like day one on Linux. So yeah. see Epic, it's possible. Even the, a, a small yeah. studio like this yeah. could do a day one release on Linux. <laughs> it is that. possible. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So, yeah, so no price actually is listed yet on Steam, but add it to your wish list and get notified when it becomes available like I have because I want to play this game. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it looks so cool. I loved R-Type. That was like yeah. one of my go-to games back in the day. I loved the big bosses fighting in a spaceship, uh, destroying a bunch of failed human experiments I call Michaels. It's just <laughs> absolute amazing. So, Jill, you know, earlier in the episode, we were talking about Eric's email and he yes. mentioned XMPP. And to show there's no hard feelings and that we we like XMPP, the software <laughs> spotlight I picked here is XMPP related. Um, and in celebration of the fact that Michael didn't use any profanity when we were talking about Tim Sweeney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the app job, this Michael. week is called Profanity. That's the spotlight. <laughs> the segue right there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Profanity is a console-based XMPP client. You install the application and you type profanity in your terminal, not actual profanity. You type the word profanity the word, in your terminal. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it, not, got it. don't just pick any profanity out there. It won't work. So the actual word profanity, and then it's <laughs> then you could just do like a slash connect user at the server if it's uh, XMPP-based and you're going to connect and you have a terminal-based XMPP client, which is pretty cool. Nice. If really you awesome. if if you want to use XMPP, even though based on the conversation we had earlier, it might not be the best top. But yes, profanity is something to check out. It's a pretty interesting profanity. Something to it, check out. Prof- <laughs> it's an interesting name, and there's no way to yeah. not use that name in a weird way. It is such way. a good name, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. all right. So anyway, check out profanity, people. And that was a lot of profanity talk right there. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> up next in the show, we're going to do the tip of the week. And that is, we're going to talk about exargs. So one of the one of the most powerful commands you can learn in the terminal is exargs because you can basically take arguments from a from one command and send it to another. So for example, if you want to uh, have a file list, you could do echo and have echo and list the files out. Then you do a pipe symbol, which will is the the line the large line that's called a pipe for those who didn't know that and you can do uh, xargs touch and it will basically create a file with those right there you can also do a another approach by deleting files so you could do a, a find command to find all the files then pipe xargs rm and then you'd be able to delete all the all the files that are listed in the the, the output of the uh, first command so it just makes it possible to take the out uh, the output of one command and then create uh, basically using the arguments to create more uh, more complex uh, commands that you can do for, if you want to do any kind of scripting, this is a very powerful option to use. I mean, I've done XARG stuff for all sorts of stuff, like the way I do the production for the show and do the editing, I have a special script that uses XARGs to create new files uh, for based on the OBS structure as well as the Caden uh, Live stuff that I do because Caden Live is powered by XML, so you can go in there and tweak it however you want to. So I use XARGs to do that. And uh, while it's not the most uh, straightforward way of doing something, it does accomplish it very well. So if you want to learn more about that, we'll have links in the show notes for more details. So Durhans hooked us up this week with some conferences that you should be getting yourself prepped for. We have FOSS Asia, which is in April. That's a virtual conference, April 7th through the 9th. We have Linux Fest Northwest, which is also virtual, April 22nd through the 24th. We have Linux App Summit, also virtual, April 29th to 30th. The advantage of the virtual is you can join from anywhere in the world and take part in these conferences that you may have never been able to attend. Anywhere before. in the world, although be clear, the FOSS Asia thing, the timing, depending if you're in the U.S., that, oh, that schedule yeah. is going to be you might brutal. Take some days off work. <laughs> yeah. 18 hours different. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> then Scale, which is in-person and live streaming, streaming and VODs and on YouTube is July 28th through 31. So Scale's like, hey, we're just going to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like our show, I guess. In a way. Yeah, pretty so that's much. pretty cool. 
So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And we're here every single Sunday, even when there's a big baseball game going on. That's what's happening today. Right. right? Exactly. Yes. Baseball. Exactly. Yeah, big, uh, it's a big game. Ball. I think it was, it no, I think it was soccer. I think it was soccer. Yeah. Maybe soccer. soccer. Okay, the big soccer game Something. today. We're still here Something. live. Instead of watching the big game, we're here with you every single Sunday. Everyone's invited to come watch the show. We also have our glorious patrons, which get perks like unedited versions of the show, and they get to hang out with us in the patron post show. And they're right here in Jitsi. They don't have the delays and stuff in YouTube. They got their own exactly. chat room going on where they can make fun of us, and we have to look at it because the patrons, <laughs> like they, they got all kinds of cool stuff going on there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can you can also become a patron by going to destinationlinux.org/slash/patreon or slash sponsors and sign up to do that, and you get access to the post the patron post show as well. We do it every single week after the show, and in this particular case, we're going to call this post show the Mega Bowl because. Nice. You can't use reasons. that other word, or we you get can't sued. use the other word. But yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So this yeah. one, <laughs> mega bowl. That's good. <laughs> and also, if you'd like to to, to to support the channel and the show, you can go to dealinstore.com and pick up some swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, uh, mugs, coasters, stickers, so much cool stuff at, de- at dealinstore.com. You can pick out all this. We actually have a new vendor now, which has much higher quality products. Yay. Uh, so so excited about that. You can check it out dealinstore.com. And make sure to check out all our wonderful shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and put your cowboy hats on and join us on our Saturday Linux user group, Linux Saloon. Woohoo! Yeehaw! <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app. You know, click that little star or the little thumbs up. Make sure you, the, the stars, the five stars, always yes, five, five stars. Star. Star. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. If you're thinking one star, don't rate this. Yeah, yeah, don't even rate it. Absolutely. No bother. Yeah. Five stars. The only That's the only thing you should touch on those rating systems, the five stars. Yeah. Unless they're out of 10, then 10 stars. It dep- yes. <laughs> Extreme. Extreme. <laughs> and everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Extreme. Extreme. Thanks, everyone. Extreme. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. For the next episode, we are sure to dominate. Dominate. Linux dominate. Ooh, Jill did the little demon voice there. Did you hear that, Michael? She does have a little anger tone she's capable of producing.